So I want to first of all thank you for the opportunity to be your interim pastor, technically the stated supply at this church for the last 15 months or so. It's been a blessing to us. You have been a blessing to us. Um, Sally and I will not forget you. Uh, We will pray for you. We will miss you. And I really want to tell you, I anticipate significant blessings in this congregation uh, in the future. So uh, stay tuned um, at what God's going to do because he's about glorifying his name, you know. None of you wants this church to be blessed as much as God does. Never forget that. Never forget that. All right, so um, I'm going to do a preacher's prerogative this morning. I'm not going to preach the text that's in the worship folder because when I got back into it during the week, I thought, you know, I'm not really sure I know exactly what that text says. And so rather than misrepresent the Word of God, uh, I would move to a different passage and spend a lot of time with it and actually even look in... uh, up some of the Hebrew words that I was telling Steve earlier and just had a lot of fun with it. I want to share it with you. So I want to look at Psalm 46 uh, in just a moment. So if you have a Bible, turn to Psalm 46. And uh, while you're doing that, I want to just lead into the text with a few words about, uh, I think, that tee up the text for us. Um, You know, I'm from the South. I couldn't hide that if I tried. Um, it's been a long time since Hurricane Katrina devastated New Orleans. Uh, it's been 21 years or so since uh, 9-11 and the towers came down. Uh, it's been a couple of years now since we had the really bad fires so close to us here. And there were locust swarms in Africa at the same time. We missed that because we were fighting fires. Um, The war in Ukraine is raging, right? And here on the West Coast, we're all waiting for the big one, you know, when the earthquake uh, swallows up all of us and everything around us, you know. Um, And and so there's a lot of unknown, and there's a lot to be concerned about. Um, And so in in the face of that, I want to look at, at, at Psalm 46. Now, in the face of trials and tribulations like that, I want to say, first of all, that for the people of God, for the people of God, uh, faith should be our dominant response. Uh, Yes, we act wisely. We take precautions for protecting ourselves and others. In the face of a a pandemic, we take uh, what we believe to be good uh, hygiene and wellness protocols But the bottom line for all of us is that our days are numbered. The mortality rate is 100%. It is appointed unto men once to die, and after that, the judgment. Now, I'm not going to counsel fatalism. Uh, We've got to react wisely in all situations. But I am going to say and assert strongly, I hope, from Psalm 46 that God is the key factor. Whether it's coronavirus or monkeypox virus or, or whatever, God is the one who gives and God is the one who takes away. And He does all things well. Praise His name. So we don't really have to worry ultimately about earthquakes and tornadoes and blizzards and all these other things. 
God is the only one who can really help us in our worries and our fears. I just would say, I mean, given the state of news media on the right and the left, it's all designed to, to make us worry. Um, it's just you turn on the radio and there's something to worry about. You, you look on the Internet, there's something to worry about. It doesn't matter which side of the political spectrum it's coming from. You, you ought to worry. You ought to be uptight. You ought to listen to us and we'll tell you more about how to be more uptight, you know, and that kind of stuff. And, and God says, trust me, you don't need to be that uptight. And, and he helps us by his word and by his spirit. And so let's pray and look at Psalm 46 for a minute. Lord, our God, uh, thank you for this word, uh, which is truth. Um, it is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, and we pray it will be that for us this morning. Uh, we pray that you would uh, show us about the peace that passes all understanding, that you are our refuge and help, a very present help in time of trouble. I pray that you would calm us, that you would show us the way ahead. You'd use a wretchedly sinful, crooked stick to show the narrow way of the Lord Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 46, this is a, a psalm attributed to the sons of Korah. Verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters His voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how He has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Amen. The grass withers and flowers will fade away, but this word won't fade. It's the word of God, and it will abide forever and forever. So I want to think about real refuge this morning. Real refuge, or God is our refuge. Um, I'm sure most of you, probably all of you, know if you go up Highway 99 toward Portland, you go past Sherwood, not very far on the left, there's 1,850-something acres there called the Tualatin National Wildlife Refuge. Hmm. What's a refuge? What is a refuge? Well, in that case, it's a, way, a place where you, you can't hunt ducks and, and, and baldies if they come in there and geese and whatever else you might find. It's a place of shelter a place of protection from danger or distress. It's a place of freedom from fear. In Numbers 35, God designated cities of refuge where people that had made egregious errors could go and be safe 
in these cities of refuge until their cases could be adjudicated. A refuge is a place of stability and security. It's the kind of place that we all need. Sally was kind of talking about that. I didn't know it was going to fit so well. Uh, but God has a way with doing these things, right? A place of, of, of stability and rest and that we all need from time to time because the world's just full of fear. Fear. I mean, I just hear it. You know, I, I, I'll be on the radio listening to the news. Okay, tell us to be afraid. Tell us what to be afraid of today. Tell us what to bite our fingernails over. You know, you never hear good news. It's always bad news. So, look, there's a lot to be afraid about. Everybody's worried about the big earthquake out here. And, and I get it, you know. I've thought about what if my house got shaken off its foundation, you know, and there's no water supply, no gas, and all that kind of stuff. But did you know, I looked Friday night on the Internet, how many category, I mean, uh, 2.5 Earthquakes are above on the Richter scale. How many there were in the past 24 hours? 23. And, and I looked again last night, and it had been 28 since the night before. And last year, there were 20,000 earthquakes on this earth. 2.5 Richter scale or above. Think, well, that's a lot of earthquakes. It is. <laughs> it is. <laughs> There are 1,350 volcanoes worldwide. There were over 1,300 tornadoes in the United States last year. And if you go to the beach, you'll go in certain places and say, tsunami warning zone, don't stay here if the big wave comes, you know. Hurricanes, wars, terrors, disease, cancer. In the face of all this, Psalm 46 presents a wonderful picture of God and His city as a place of refuge. Now, primarily in the Bible, not exclusively, but primarily in the Bible, refuge is associated with a person, not a place. We think of refuge as a place, Tualatin Valley Wildlife, National Wildlife Refuge. But security in a place, in God's place, is because the person of God is there with His power that He exercises toward His people. And that's good news. Because if I'm where God is, I'm safe. I'm safe in a way I could never be safe otherwise. And brothers and sisters, we all need to know and experience the person of God as refuge. As refuge. So listen carefully. I pray that this day, if you don't already know the peace that passes all understanding, you'll know it. So, the first three verses of Psalm 46 talk about refuge as a per, in, in, in a person, refuges with a person. Do you remember as a kid, maybe, um, and <laughs> I know this will sound odd to some of you, as old as I am, I remember things like this. When you're scared as a kid, maybe you're scared of a big dog. Maybe you're scared of the dark. Uh, Maybe you're scared of a a storm that's blowing around. And just the fact that father or mother or grandmother or grandfather or somebody was around, it comforted you because they were there, because they held you, 
Somebody that was bigger and stronger and wiser, they brought comfort to you. That's at least part of what the sons of Korah, I think, are working on in this psalm. And and it's teaching us that God is the person of ultimate security and refuge. And that it's only by knowing Him and being with Him that we can be truly secure. You say, well, what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is we're all insecure. Ever since Adam and Eve got kicked out of the garden, they became insecure. They became security seekers. I know that about every one of you. I know that about every one of my neighbors. You know that about the people that work next to you. Well, we don't go to offices anymore. But that used to sit next to you at the office or that work with you. You know, they're security seekers. They're insecure. Why? Because we're sons and daughters of Adam. And, and so, and so we, we, it's a big deal if God can give us security and if He will. And so it begins with a confession. Look at this. God is our, not a, not the, it says God is our refuge and strength. It's kind of like the 23rd Psalm, not God is a shepherd or the shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd. I visited a, a man that at the time I would have said was an old man <laughs> um, in the hospital, he was in the ICU, and, and I thought he was near the end of his life, and I wasn't sure if he was a believer, nor was his wife sure that he was a believer, nor was his daughter sure that he was a believer. The daughter was a, a, a wife of one of our elders. And, and I timed my visit to the ICU. I, I don't know how it is here, but in, in, in the deep south in those days, a pastor could get in an ICU at any time of the day or night except when they were treating. Um, if I wanted to go at 2 a.m., I could go. And so I, I timed my visit so the family would not be there because I wanted to talk to the man alone and I wanted to talk him, to him about Jesus and what he would face shortly. And I got there, and, and I've heard a lot of different kinds of confessions of faith in my life, but I still remember he said, Pastor, he said, you know, I've known the 23rd Psalm a long time, but, but it's just hit me recently that, that the Lord is my shepherd. He's my shepherd. And I'm thinking, thank you, Jesus. The man, this man has come to know something that he didn't know before. He's, he's making a confession. He's confessing that Jesus is his shepherd. Not just a shepherd, not just the shepherd. He's my shepherd. And I truly believe the man had been born again not long before that. Down in verse 7, and then in verse 11, if you noticed, is the same as verse 7. The God of hosts, Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Um, the, the with us, uh, the our refuge, um, the, the personal, the confession aspects of it. And so what does he mean here by refuge? Well, I've talked about that. A, a place of shelter from danger, uh, from storm, uh, from beast. Uh, he is our strength, the, the refuge and strength. Um, most of us, uh, from time to time, feel very weak when the storms of life blow through. Even the apostle Paul would say, sometimes I feel weak, but when I'm weak, then I'm strong because he drew his strength from God. Um, in, in the same token or line in, in verse 7, he talk, in verse 11, he talks about uh, God as his uh, fortress, uh, his fortress. Uh, a fortress is a place where you go 
uh, for protection from enemies, right? Uh, well, the, the Hebrew word here is a really interesting word. It, it means a high place where people can't get to you, so to speak. Uh, and, and there are places like that in the world. Um, the, uh, if, if you go to Scotland and you go to, to Edinburgh Castle or Stirling Castle, they're built up on, on these high places where on three sides it's very, very steep. And on one side is, there's a long slope, and that's how people would get to the castle. But there's no, no doubt why they built them that way. Herod the Great, who was the king, of course, in the time of, uh, at least part of the time of Jesus, uh, was worried, rightly so, that the people were going to rebel against him. And he had uh, four or five fortresses around the country. One of them is Masada. Some of you have heard of Masada. It's this place that's real high. It's down by the Dead Sea, and, and it's hard to get up there. Uh, um, and, and, and he built this, this high place. That, that's a fortress. That's a, a high place that it's hard to get to. God is like that. God is a fortress. If you know God, if you're with God, if you're embraced by God, you're in this high, impregnable fortress. He's trying to tell them, he's trying to tell us that. He's a very present help, a well-proved help. You know, one of the Proverbs says, a friend who is near is better than a brother who's far away. Well, you could spin that a little bit. God who's always near <laughs> is better than a brother that's far away. Uh, and, and it's not help is on the way. Help is here when we know God. A very present help in trouble. The, the word there means tightness or tight times. And we've all been in times like that um, where, where life just seems to be getting us, you know. And, and then he goes to illustrate it in ways that we've already talked about. I'll be brief here. In verses 2 and 3, he talks about natural disasters and troubles. Though the earth gives way. Sounds like an earthquake to me. He's a very present help in trouble. Though the earth gives way, that's, that's, a, that's an earthquake, I think. Yeah. And though the mountains be moved into the sea. Sounds like a volcano to me. Though the waters roar and form, it sounds like storms, hurricanes, weather in general. Though the mountains tremble, it is swelling. In verse 6, he talks about geopolitical troubles. Though the nations rage, kingdoms totter. Oh. So there's this confession in this first part of the, of, of, of the psalm, but there's also a statement of confidence because... because God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. The confidence is we will not fear. Whatever bad geopolitical things come, whatever bad natural things come, because God is our refuge and strength and fortress and help because of His presence with us, His power for us, His provision uh, in us, and His protection of us, we will not fear. We will not fear. Kind of humbling to me. Because when I think about a lot of things in life today, I fear. Maybe you do too. So the first point, the summary of this first point, these first three verses is that refuge is primarily in a person. And that's, of course, God. And so I want to ask you, is God your refuge? Is God your strength? I'm not asking you if you know He's strong. Is He your strength? Have you entrusted yourself to him against that which is to come? 
Have you put yourselves in His wise and strong care? Are you trusting Him on a daily basis? Do you have confidence about the future because of Him? So Sally and I have been thinking about Scripture memory, um, she more than I, in this last 24, 48 hours. And one of the verses many of you have memorized is this one. Be anxious for nothing, Philippians 4, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which passes all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And that's the way many of us memorize that verse. But if you go back a half a verse to the end of verse 5, it says this. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. And one of the dangers of scriptural memory is you take things out of context and you miss that because the Lord is at hand, you don't have to be anxious about anything. Refuge is, first of all, in a person. But secondly, in the passage, in verses 4 to 7, refuge is in a place uh, where the person is, as I said earlier. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God. And, and I don't want to answer every question about the city of God. Um, but it's defined here as the, ho- the holy habitation of the Most High. It's the place where God dwells. Where does God dwell? Well, let me just mention four places in the Bible quickly. Eden, the Garden of Eden, God dwelled there. The tabernacle and the temple, God dwelled there. In the church today... God dwells in the midst of the church. Ben was talking about that earlier in his prayer. Uh, There's this beautiful picture in in Revelation chapter 1 where uh, Jesus is walking around in the midst of the churches. And then, of course, there's the new Jerusalem in Revelation 21 and 22, the, the, the new and the final and the fulfillment of the city of God. And it's especially in these last two, in the church and the future kingdom of God, that we find refuge and security and stability as we seek it and we need it. But I want to focus mostly on the present. So what's so special about this city of God? Well, there's a river flowing from it. Verse 4, there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Now, you can miss a lot by just reading that and going on too quickly. For one thing, you've got to contrast it with what the psalmist has just said. He's just said, Though the mountains be moved into the heart of sea, though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, that the picture is of tumultuous things going on in the oceans. And then there's this river. There's this river. This river that makes glad the city of God. Hmm. When you read at the end of the Bible in Revelation 22, I'll read you a couple of verses. uh, And you come back to this river. Last chapter of the Bible, the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. And he goes on to talk about... uh, Uh, the blessing that's coming as the water flows from the throne. Um, And and, and it's the water of life. it's, It's the watering, the tree of life there. Later on, the Holy Spirit outpouring. The language of the Spirit's coming is often a pouring language. 
of, of, and, and life is poured out. They, they were in a dry culture over there, a uh, very dry culture over there. And so this city has this river. And then it says, God is in the midst of her. God is in the midst of her to help her. She shall not be moved. Really? So we've just read about the earth giving way, the mountains being moved into the heart of the sea, the waters roaring and foaming, and then all of a sudden we've got this city and God is there and and this city is stable and secure and it cannot be moved. It It shall not totter. It shall not be shaken. Some of you know, if I mention the date 1883, what happened that's of note in 1883, uh, Krakatoa near Java exploded in five cubic miles, five cubic miles of matter exploded and a mountain vanished. Some of you remember Mount St. Helens, the flat-topped mountain around here, and we know why. We've seen pictures of bridges and boats and houses and Railroad tracks and highways in the middle of floods and storms and earthquakes. But when God is in the midst of His people, they cannot be moved. It's a great thought. The city of God will never be moved because God is there. The church will always survive, as will the children of God. God will help her when morning dawns. I think that means early, quickly. And and again, you may take that for granted, I mean, but I don't. I remember all the complaints. Anytime there's a major disaster, you wait about two to four weeks and there are going to be complaints about you didn't get the help here soon enough. You didn't get the help here soon enough. God brings in the morning. It's a good thing. Good thing. God will help her against raging enemies in verse 6. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. These are not the enemies of the United States. Sometimes this is falsely applied. This is the enemies of the people of God. And God will help. This help is not just by his presence, but it's also by the host of heaven. Verse 7, and then in verse 11, the God, Lord of hosts is with us. What are the hosts of God, the angels of God, the army of God? So I want to ask you if you're a citizen of this city. Are you a citizen of heaven? Do you have the robes of the righteousness of Christ by faith? That's the required attire. It's the uniform, if you will, of heaven. You can think of heaven as a uniform where everybody wears the same uniform. The righteousness of Christ. Are you a stranger, an alien in this earth, living in a strange land, longing for home? Listen, by faith in Jesus Christ, you can be a citizen of this city today if you've never been. You can put your trust in Him, give yourself over to Him, cast yourself upon Him. And if you are such a citizen, you can be sure of His security and refuge and help. So, refuge is because primarily of a person, but secondly, it's in a place, God's place. Thirdly, refuge with God and, his, and for His people must be sought and appropriated in verse 8, 9, 10, and 11. There's a tendency, I think, in the Christian life um, 
to want things to work automatically. Uh, we want to put our trust in Jesus, and it's kind of like we set the cruise control on 65, we'll say. I'm giving you the benefit of the doubt on what you set your cruise control on, okay? All right. So you set it on 65, and if you go up a hill, what happens? Well, it just gives it some gas, and you speed up. If you go down a hill, and you can watch the, the tachometer, you can watch the, the RPMs. You know, if you go down a hill, it'll slow down. You don't have to think. You can be chatting on the phone or really intent on a piece of music. It's a little bit like these thermostats, you know, that you, you can put it on a certain uh, number, and well, if you need heat, it'll give you heat. If you need cool, it'll give you cool. And a lot of people want the Christian life to work like that. Well, God, you just kind of sock it to me when I need it, and, and if I don't need it, yeah, you can, buy, you can take a step away, and, 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 you know, I think I've got this day covered. It's a great mistake, by the way. You can count on God's help, but we must strive to live by faith. Think about the disciples in the boat on the Sea of Galilee, and a storm blows up, and Jesus is asleep, and they wake him up, and they, they say, Master, don't you care that we're perishing? And he gets up, and he quiets the storm, and he turns to him and he says, Where is your faith? Why aren't you using your faith? Why aren't you taking the faith you have and applying it to this present tense problem you've got in your life? Well, I want it to work like a thermostat or like a cruise control. Well, friends, it doesn't work that way. That's the reason there's so, many, so much imagery in the Bible about fighting the good fight of faith. And so in this section, 8 through 11, there's an invitation and then there's instruction. And the invitation is, come. Come, behold the works of the Lord, in verse 8. How He's wrought, brought desolation on the earth. Now, if you said to a Jew at that time, an, an ancient Israelite, well, what do you mean by the works of the Lord? Well, he would first have thought about creation. God spoke and made it all. But this says, right, this says, He has wrought, brought desolations on the earth. What desolations? Well, they would have thought of the Exodus. How they went through on dry land and when the Egyptians tried it, whoop, and they're all drowned. They would have thought about Joshua and, and the wall around Jericho coming down and the conquest. We look back and we think about Jesus and His destroying Him who has the power of death, the devil. Pharaoh knew what the desolations were that God had brought on the earth, at least some of them. In verse 9, it says, He has brought, will bring, He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. That, those are images of peace. And how does He do that? Well, I've already said with this, the, the, the armies of God, the host of heaven... But this is a touching on a theme that's all through the Bible, and I'll just point you at it. Mike can get you clear on this and, uh, later, but the, the, God is pictured in the Bible as a divine warrior. 
And you, you miss a lot if you don't realize, oh, he's talking about this divine warrior theme. You find it in so many different places. You find it at the Exodus. You find it with Pharaoh. You find it with Jesus destroying him who has the power of death, that is the devil. Uh, the, God is the divine warrior. And, and so he's inviting them and us to come and behold the works of the Lord. And then he says, the instruction, be still and know that I am God. Stop your frantic searching for security in the things of this world that can never give you security. Slow down. Stop. Get your bearings. Step back. Take a deep breath. Turn off the distractions of TV and radio and smartphone. Remove the electronic clutter for a while. Be still and know that I'm God. And know that I'm your God. And that you're in my hands. And nothing can ever take you out of my hands. I don't live like that all the time. My hunch is that some of you don't either. I get frantic. I get worried. I worried about what the... better watch my words here. The people in Salem are doing. I get worried about what the people in Washington are doing. I get worried about what they're not doing. I get worried about, you know, Sally would tell you that there's not a worry that her husband hasn't had. (laughs) You know? I got a PhD in worry. Many never seek stillness and silence enough to contemplate God. I mean, there are people that that silence drives them nuts. Are you one of them? Can you tolerate silence? You one of these people walks in the room, first thing you do is you turn on the TV? Hmm. Be still and know in your head... And in your heart that I am God. Know my person. Know my works. Know how I have revealed myself in Jesus Christ. I will be exalted among the nations. Why is that? Because he's not a tribal God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth, in the new heavens and the new earth. And then... I think verse 11 is kind of confession. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. You find similar things in a lot of places in the Bible because I think the people of God have trouble getting it, you know. Uh, Joel 3, the Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem and the heaven and the earth quake. But the Lord is a refuge for his people, a stronghold to the people of Israel. And you find it in Isaiah 4 and Isaiah 25. You find it a lot of places in the Bible. God is in control of all diseases and all storms of all types, of all political changes and events. He is the sovereign Lord of heaven and earth. When I hear the phrase, and you hear this from time to time, you know, the United States is trying to, trying to provoke regime change in another country. I think, well, you know... Maybe so, but there's never going to be any regime change in the kingdom of God. We didn't vote him in, and we can't vote him out. He is going to be 
the sovereign Lord that someday every one of us will stand before. Indeed, the storms and the viruses that we experience are small compared to what is to come. There's the storm of the wrath of God. And the most serious plague is the plague of sin. And all of these things that, become, that come beforehand, the storms on the seas and the, 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 the mountains casting into the sea, volcanic eruptions and earthquakes and all of that stuff, that just shots across the bow of the great final judgment to come. I don't know what will happen in Ukraine. I don't know what will happen in this country in the next election. But I know that God is in control. And I am in the hands of the living God. And therefore I'm secure. And if you are in the hands of the living God, you're secure. Bad things can happen. Bad things will happen. But there is real security. When the big one comes... Evacuation will not work. (laughs) It will be too late. And the big one will be too big. And the government cannot help. Are you ready for the final storm? Are you ready for the interim storms that will blow this afternoon and tomorrow? The only escape from what is to come today or tomorrow at the end of time is to have God as your refuge. And you can have that today by faith in Jesus Christ. And you can renew that faith commitment every day as you offer yourself up to Him as a living sacrifice. And so I pray that all of us will be ready. I plead with myself and I plead with each of you to be still and know that God is God and that He does all things well. Now, interestingly, I can't get you ready And you can't get me ready. There's personal responsibility here. But you can be sure of this. That if you want God as your God, if you want God as your refuge, he will help you. He will have, his arms are open for you. And he longs that you would come to him. Anyone who seeks him, God will help. Let's pray. Lord our God, we thank you for the fact that you are a refuge and strength, a present help in time of trouble, whether it's at the end of time or whether it's before the end of time. Lord, I pray that all here would put their confidence, their trust, their hope in you, the living God, through Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you destroyed him who has the power of death, that is the devil. And we thank you as we come to this table that you are serving us yourself. That you're offering yourself again. And you're saying you want us to be yours. And we pray in your name. Amen.